You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents Monster Talk is proud to be a part of the Airwave Media family, home of such shows as The Daily Meditation Podcast, The Accidental Creative, and I know what scares you. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. I've been doing a bunch of research on George's cryptids for a presentation that I'll be giving at DragonCon and then again in October at Forsyth County Library in Cumming, Georgia. Part of my research into the topic included a trip down to Darien, Georgia, which is home to a remarkable life-size statue of my home state's estuary monster that we affectionately call Alti. It's about a four and a half hour drive and the weather was astonishingly bad. I've never been in a stronger rainstorm and that's actually saying something. We called ahead and told the Welcome Center that due to our time of departure, it was going to be a close thing about whether or not we could actually reach them before their shortened holiday hours shut the doors. So we drove as fast as we could and we called ahead and shared our progress with the Welcome Center attendant who kindly assured us that she'd wait for us and wanted our safe arrival so, carefully, we made our way down there. We were about five minutes late, but she was true to her word, and she let us hang out and take photos and chit-chat for about 30 minutes, so we really appreciated that. But while we were there, she lamented that if we could have been a few hours earlier, we would have met the artist that actually made this sculpture. He lives in Georgia and had dropped by to see how the new Welcome Center looked and to see how the statue was holding up. So, she gave me his name, and a few contact details, and I was able to do some detective work, and I tracked him down, and I'm excited to say we connected. His name's Rick Spears, and in this conversation you're about to hear, we'll be talking about Alti, 
how this statue came to be. And this all is part of a multi-episode coverage from my Georgia Cryptid research that we're kicking off today with Rick Spears. If you're not able to attend my talk at DragonCon or in Forsyth County, don't worry about it. We will be covering a lot of the same material in depth right here in your regular podcast feed. But if you can make it to one of my live talks, do stop by and say hello. Karen and I love to meet listeners, and we don't get enough of that in our regular lives. All righty, let's get to the Monster Talk. So today we're going to be talking with Rick Spears, who's a sculptor whose work has been shown at Fernbank Science Center uh, in Atlanta, where he creates sculptures based on known animals. But he's also the creator of the magnificent statue of Altamahaha or Alti, which is the Georgia, I, I want to say estuary monster. It's not a lake monster. It's not exactly a river monster. <laughs> <laughs> but that 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 sculpture is at the Darien Welcome Center in Darien, Georgia, which is about 30 miles south of Savannah. And I don't know what all Darien has to offer, uh, but I know that that was enough to make me go. So is there anything else you'd like to add about yourself before we get started, Rick? No, I, I sound pretty fabulous. You are pretty fabulous. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So, Rick, what do you call your kind of sculpting and how did you manage to become involved in this kind of art? Well, um, I guess what you would say is I'm a paleo artist because most of my work has to be um, for museums, uh, recreating prehistoric animals as they would have looked in life. Um, it's something that I've always done. I've always drawn dinosaurs and monsters and <laughs> always sculpted <laughs> them and uh, it got to a point where, uh, you know, I kind of had to decide on a uh, career path. So in college, mm -hmm. I did uh, graphic design, of course, and um, went that route and took uh, jobs in advertising after college. And uh, fortunately, I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> um, reassess what I was doing, and um, I had all this spare time, so I built, I built some models of dinosaurs. They were oven-sized because I was using clay that you bake in your oven. So, Like like Sculpey? Yes, using Sculpey. Oh, okay. Then I had heard about a uh, museum opening up um, here in Georgia at the uh, 4-H Center near Eagleton. And uh, I just said, hey, you guys, uh, I understand you're making uh, a museum. I make models. Would you like to buy some? And uh, lo and behold, mm -hmm. I uh, uh, got hired to do the exhibits. So um, that's where my career kind of took off as a professional paleo artist, you might say. That's so, a great title. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so um, because of that and, and my, my interest in um, cryptozoology as well, uh, it turns out in the museum we had a, a little corner. I called it the throwaway corner because there's nothing planned for it. And, um, you know, it, it was really not useful as far as an exhibit space. But I said, can I do something on Cryptids. They said sure, and I uh, got on the internet, the early internet in the early nineties, and typed uh, mm -hmm. in cryptids of Georgia. Mm. And the first thing that popped up was the Altamaha. And I said, "What is this wonderful thing?" Yeah. And did some research on it, and uh, instantly fell in love. Yeah, that's it. That's mm -hmm. what I'm going to do. So my very first model was the uh, Altamaha model at uh, the Rock Eagle 4-H Center. They're a museum of natural history. It's a, it's one that's about half the size of the one you saw, Blake. 
Oh, I think I saw a photo of you carrying a smaller model. That must have been that one. Mm. That was it. Nice. So the ball started. Fantastic. Uh, what sort of training do you have? I mean, are you self-trained? I mean, paleo seems like it would involve a lot of anatomy lessons. You would think so. Yeah. But uh, I just kind of make things up as I go. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, had I to do it over again, I think take my college a little more seriously and actually <laughs> taking some anatomy courses and more zoology, that type of thing. Um, I didn't even find out that uh, there was uh, scientific illustration offered at, at the University of Georgia until after I graduated. So, um, <laughs> so everything that I've done since has been just through research books, the internet, as far as looking up anatomy. Trying to get familiar with the subject matter. Well, they, they look amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Incredible work. And so uh, we're interested in uh, to hear more about your job and this kind of art. And uh, we'd like to know if most artists in this field work on contract or is having employment more common for you and people like you? I've been pretty, pretty, pretty fortunate that um, I've always had a uh, a real job, if you will, a daytime job. So um, the things as far as the, uh, the the cryptid sculptures, those are more like side jobs. I see. And when I did the the uh, Ultima Haha in uh, Darien, they contacted me. I don't know how they found me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice. I one of them, I Googled something about, you know, Alti and found the one at, at Rock Eagle. And so they uh, hired me to do the, the full... 20-foot-long animal for Darien. Wow. This is actually the Rock Eagle 4-H site, which is adjacent to the Rock Eagle effigy mound, which is an archaeological site that's between one and 3,000 years old. And, uh, of course, it's also a place to go do canoeing and play sports and uh, get sunburn and mosquito bites. But it is a lot of fun and worth visiting if you're able. Okay, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah, you're probably there if if you Grew up in Georgia. Yeah, you've been there. Yeah, they, they, we, we did uh, multiple field trips there with my kids. That's and yeah. we canoed. Uh, we did field games and that sort of thing. Yeah, that was okay. Mm. That's a really nifty place. And they had the giant rock eagle on the on the. Yes. Yeah, okay. That, I knew it sounded familiar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Besides uh, Alti, I mean, obviously you've done some uh, more sciencey paleo art. What what creatures have you made? And I know. People can go to your website and see some of these, but uh, like, what what are what are the ones you've made? What are you proud of? You know, what what, what can I go see at Fernbank right now? That kind of thing. Um, well, right now you can see uh, the work I've done. Um, I guess updating a dinosaur exhibit uh, there at Fernbank Science Center. They have a cast of one of the dinosaurs from the 1964 World's Fair uh, that were very very popular then. Um, after the World's Fair, the company that made them made copies that they would sell to various museums. So they're all throughout the United States. But we have one. It's a rather small one. But I am uh, updating it now. Um, it's a Struthiomimus that looks like an ostrich. Um, I'm actually giving it feathers because the uh, the current scientific thinking is that, you know, these theropod dinosaurs may, may have had feathers. So I'm, I'm kind of updating it that way. Also given... Um, uh, her a flock at her feet. So I have five little hatchlings at her feet walking around. So just trying to, to update the uh, the exhibits there. Um, so if you come by, you can see a work in progress right now. Oh, really? 
That's neat. The, the, yeah. So, so, cool. are, so where would I see that in the museum now? Like if I were, if I go. Oh, if you come in the front door yeah. and <laughs> look to your left, there it is. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's where the, uh, the what are the Eagles over there? There's a few things over there to the left. I think there's a bathroom. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a few months since we've been down there, but we are members. So yeah. Neat. Uh, yeah. It's just uh we're, we're pretty small. Actually, we're, we're the science center, which is different from the Museum of Natural History. Oh, okay. Most right. called Fernbank. I don't know who came up with that. No, it's a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Quick clarification here. I got confused about where Rick works. Atlanta has a Fernbank Natural History Museum, but Rick works at the Fernbank Science Center, which is actually a different building, about a mile and a half away. And that's part of the DeKalb County School System, as well as part of the Fernbank complex of trails and buildings. All of this is in Atlanta, near the Druid Hills Golf Course. And why there's a neighborhood in Atlanta, Georgia, that's called Druid Hills is a weird topic for another day. Right, right. No, we're, we're actually part of the, the school system and um, opened in 1967, so we're, we're a little bit older. Okay. okay. We're basically a, a, a part of the school system where um, uh, seniors come in and get really intense science classes, but we have to have exhibits as well for the public. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a planetarium and an observatory and, and that sort of thing, but we also have uh, exhibits in the round there that you can, you can visit. And you mean seniors in high school, not seniors who are like old people, right? <laughs> <laughs> they come in the bus and uh, we get on the wheelchairs, get them out. <laughs> you guys remember dinosaurs, and now we're going to show you how they're made. What? <laughs> you are dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, uh, so, Rick, for people who live outside of Georgia or who have not had the pleasure of visiting Georgia and seeing your work, could you tell us a little bit about the the Alti story? Sure, sure. Uh, well, when I was uh, uh, researching Alti, initially it was uh, touted as uh, George's Loch Ness monster, if you will. Okay. Like I said, it's not really a lake, and it's it's not really a river. Uh, he actually <laughs> swims around in a lot of uh, abandoned rice fields, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah. So, Interesting. Uh, what is, I started off uh, looking at uh, all these accounts that a, a woman named uh, Ann R. Davis, not to be confused with Ann B. Davis from the Brady Bunch, uh, Ann R. Davis oh. <laughs> had, uh, collected all these, these stories about Alti. And some went back as far as uh, the times that the early Americans were here, the first Americans. Um, but more recently, it was these eyewitness accounts where they would describe this animal and uh, certain attributes that seem to be across the board. I mean, these were different accounts, but they were kind of describing the same thing over and over. That led me to believe that, okay, they're, they're seeing something that's not a sturgeon because uh, people who are on the river know what eels and sturgeons look like. So uh, right. I extrapolated all this information and uh, came up with the look of the animal just on, based on these eyewitness accounts. Did you get a, a feel? I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think we've been pretty clear. What, <laughs> we're a skeptical show, but we love monsters. And and I, mm-hmm. when I was looking at all these these stories, it felt like, to me, that there was like three sort of different things being described. Like if if I didn't want to lump them all together, it felt like some of them were something a little fish like, 
Some of them yeah. were something a little alligator-like, and some of them were something a little manatee-like. Yes. That vibes uh, with I, what I, you I, saw. <laughs> yeah, so I've run into that. And, and so the animal, that I, the look I came up with were the ones that were consistent. It's like, well, these are mostly what it said. But, yeah, uh, yeah. These are the mm-hmm. ones that were described. But uh, when I first presented the, uh, the sculpture back in, 2009, of course, somebody on the internet had to jump in and go, well, that's not what it looks like. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. And I said, um, well, this is, you know, here's, here's my evidence. Here's, here's all the, the, the stuff that I, I gleaned from to come up with this look. And uh, they said, no, no, no. All these reports here say it's like, you know, more fish-like, like you said. And uh, so I'm saying, okay, what's happening is... This is my this is my theory. What's happening is there are uh, more than one animal uh, that's being called the Altamaha. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> if you see something splash around in the water, you go, "Well, we're near dairy, and it's got to be Alti." Whereas you know, maybe it's something that, that is more more sturgeon-like or, or fish-like. And then the uh, you know the one I've done is I've come up with this whole backstory for it. If you will, I try to think, okay, what could it be? You know, uh, what what is it? What is its ancestry? And I've come up with it. It's probably related to uh, pinnipeds, uh, seals, and such. And then mm. it's actually a big mammal. Uh, and if you if you look at this this one prehistoric uh, uh, seal and dead gummit, I cannot remember the name right now. But anyway, uh, if you extended the neck and extended the back legs out and made it more like a tail, it would you would have alti. Um, it's just that I think it's just. If it's there, it's maybe mm-hmm. a type of uh, evolved uh, seal or pinniped. It's that is uh, the the pinniped hypothesis uh, certainly comes up a lot in these kind of creatures, which I think is really yeah. interesting. But I, yeah, I, uh, Darren Nash, uh, I don't know if you know his work, but you know he's a paleontologist and does a lot of paleo art. His is uh, he does illustrations mostly. Um, but he's talked about this idea before, these mystery pinnipeds. And, I mean, they come right out of mm-hmm. Sanderson and Huevelman's, you know, it's, it's that this idea that there are mystery, uh, you know, seal-like or walrus-like or manatee-like animals out there is uh, – it's, 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 it's been around as long as cryptozoology, I'd say. But it, it's mm-hmm. – it certainly, but whatever Alti is, I think the, the 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 stories that I find the most striking are the ones where they talk about it, you know, swimming uh, and I'm say it right dorsally, uh, you know, and then sort of the underbelly being a different color. I love that. So it, it undulates. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't so, swim side to side like a like a fish or a shark uh, or a reptile for that matter. It's it's body movement. It's always described as moving up and down and undulating. Which is how you have the tail oriented, exactly. Yeah, uh, and the only thing that does that is a mammal. Yeah, that we and know so, of. What? <laughs> that we know of. Good point. <laughs> Some of the other elements that that led me to um, maybe a mammal background is, is that one report in December had it breaking the surface and taking a breath, and uh, condensation came out, steam. You know, we, we do that outside, pretend we're smoking. So, um, but that steam <laughs> came out and it uh, exhaled. And there was another cool account where uh, this guy, uh, two guys, I think, saw it thrashing around on a sandbar 
out of the water, like the other water is thrashing around. And uh, I think it was, if this is true, it was uh, giving birth. So you would on a sandbar and do that. That would uh, be interesting. Yeah. Be cool. How common are sightings today? Was there a time or a, a period where they were more common or are they increasing? What's the, the what are the sightings looking like? Uh, most of the sightings I got were like probably within the past 50 years or so. Okay. They kind of dropped off in the late 80s and 90s. Oh. So I don't know if people just are not reporting it or, you know, they don't want to be, you know, ridiculed or anything. So. Well, you know, I, I, I... I mostly wanted to talk to you about your work and don't really want to blow my research, but I will say <laughs> we're probably going to do a special episode just about Alti and kind of go into a deep dive on what I've dug up from all my newspapers. Deep dive. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, uh, I, I saw a big spike uh, in the 1980s, like early 1980s, and then mm-hmm. another spike in the mid nineties, and oh, then man. and then I didn't see many more sightings. But if you do a literature search or just try to find out, you know, coverage of it, somewhere around two thousand ten to now, suddenly Alti's being included in like every new monster book, which is really, so anybody doing these sort of roundups of cryptozoology or monsters oh, sure. of the state. So Alti's mm-hmm. getting a little bit more uh, recognition, and I don't I don't know what's driving that except for that I know in one sense there's the sort of echo chamber of monster lit uh, where we all you know parasite each other. <laughs> but uh, I, I, if there's something else behind it, I don't know. But I, I really did find that interesting how now it's it's much less rare now to find it in a monster book than it was. When I first started, we, we started putting Monster Talk together. We started putting it together in like 2008. And I think mm-hmm. I did a creative loafing uh, interview around 2010, something like that, where they were they did a special on Alti and talked to me for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And I think, uh, I, so after that, I, I'm not saying that's connected. I'm just saying, I think it was after 2010, I started seeing it showing up in Google book searches for you know just any instance at all it's it's it's, it's sort of it's so at least awareness of it and I, that may be partly because of podcasting because podcasting has the ability to get monster stories out to monster listeners who desperately need monster content <laughs> yes well, indeed obviously uh you know you're the reason that may be no <laughs> <laughs> hello i'm paul giamatti and i'm Stephen asma Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars, eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. 
Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and are useful for Monster Talk listeners. I Know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast. Studying dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents. Climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global warming. Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution. Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur <laughs> injuries, paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases. A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I, I, I doubt I, I had anything to do it, but we're going to give it a bump here in the next few episodes because I, I definitely uh -huh. want to talk about some of the okay. things I found. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just just erase everything I've said. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can talk a little bit more about the art again. And um, Rick, we're wondering, how do you go about starting a big sculpt like this? Um, well, uh, of course, there's a I, – I, I kind of – the – Alti model that's uh, at Darien, I kind of had a, a, a leg up on because I'd already built one. So as far as the research goes, I, uh, I, I kind of knew that already, knew what I wanted it to look like. If I'm starting from scratch, I, I do as much research as I can. Uh, again, looking at eyewitness accounts or just what's been written about it, uh, do my research that way. And then um, I approach it from the, from the standpoint that Okay, these are cool, fantastic creatures, um, mm -hmm. but they exist in our world, so they've kind of got to follow the rules of nature and of physics and stuff. So then you kind of mm -hmm. start thinking back. Well, how are the mechanics on this? How does how would it move? And uh, um, you know, it's got to have some sort of internal structure or external structure. If it's a one of those uh, uh, crustacean-looking things, but. Uh, uh, they still have to exist in the world. They still, they still eat. They still drink. They still, you know, expel things. Um, mm -hmm. And bring, <laughs> they still have to follow the rules of, of our world. And um, just from there, I try to make it as if it were a real thing, not so fantastic. Um, I know I've had to do a lot of uh, uh, drawings for a, a cryptid book that we did called the Cryptid, cryptid Field Guide. came out. A few years ago, it's it's fifty cryptid creatures from all over the world, and mm -hmm. each one we showed a picture of the animal or the creature. I hate calling them monsters, but uh, yeah. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm happy with that. <laughs> um, but we we have the animal monster creature, and then we had a uh, what the skull might look like. So I got to go in and and you know, compare it and say, all right. Well, this is a fish-like creature, so let's give it a fish-like skull. But it's it's also humanoid at the same time. So we, we got to, I got to have a lot of fun doing that. Like, you know, Ooh, so you did some fish people, some like gill men. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we had the, 
there's like this fish thing. It's uh, oh, Tethys. Thetis, Thetis, Thetis. I'm sorry, Thetis Lake. I think I may be messing it up, but uh, yeah, I know that that's the one that Daniel Loxton. Quick insert: the Thetis Lake monster was investigated by Daniel Loxton for his Junior Skeptic series way back in 2009, and his research found a very close connection between the creature reported in the lake and the airing of a monster movie called The Monster from the Surf, just four days prior to the sighting. The Beach Girls and the Monster. Starring John Hall, Sue Casey, and the glamorous Watusi dancing girls from Hollywood's famed Whiskey-A-Go-Go nightclub. This monster seems to fit the pattern of fiction influencing people's reported experiences that I like to call scripteds. But we can return to Thetis Lake in a future episode. And I'm doing all these quick inserts and asides because Rick's reminding me of all the related stuff that we ought to be giving more time to on future episodes. And it reminds me also of Stan Lee, how he used to do editorial notes in some of the Marvel cartoons that I grew up with. So, Excelsior! did my best not to make it look like a creature from the Black Lagoon. Then, you know, you, you do this animal and you go, okay, what would the skull look like? And so... You kind of backtrack and, 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 but then we even went back and, and, and then they wanted the, the publisher wanted a uh, baby version of this thing, whatever it is. So then I had to go, okay, well, what does it look like as a youngster? Oh, um, it's like mammalian. It's, it's probably just a smaller version of, of its parent or, you know, it, it, there's a reptile too, but then it's like, okay, well, uh, is this thing frog like? Maybe it goes through some sort of metamorphosis. Is it, is it an insect-based thing? Maybe it goes through some kind of metamorphosis or, or such. So not only do you, for these things, do I do the research as to as it's described, but then I kind of take it a step back further and give it a backstory. So that's, uh, that's a lot of fun doing that. As a matter of fact, I've got a book I'm working on now that'll be out next year. And all it is is babies. It's actually for little bitty kids. It's going to be a board book. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun to do. I guess one question I have is if you, do you have any advice for young people who might be trying to break into this field? Do not be more talented than me. Please. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> you do what you want. Fair enough. Just don't take my work. No. Uh, you know what? I Do everything I didn't do. I mean, obviously <laughs> learn art. Do, do your art, practice your art, but then go in and really take science courses, learn about the world and how mm-hmm. things work. Um, the mechanics, uh, biomechanics of animals is, is really, really important. That's something I wish I had learned more of. Um, I've learned a lot doing uh, paleontology. I, I can look, sometimes look at a bone and tell you what it is and where it goes and how it works. There's still so much out there uh, that I don't know. Um, but I'd said just, you know, if you want to do this, work towards it. I just kind of fell into it. I, I got really, lucky. it's just, it was a hobby that's become my, my work now. But, um, if you're serious about it, just practice and study. I mean, I, I know that sounds pretty basic for anything, but, uh, that's good advice in general. So Rick, you are, uh, you mentioned the, the book that you're working on that's coming out next year and uh, some other sculptures that you're working on too. But uh, anything else that you'd like to talk about? Any other projects that you're working on? Well, uh, thank you for asking. Um, I kind of got behind 
when we when COVID reared its ugly head. Exactly. Didn't we all? <laughs> so that's that's my excuse for being tardy on these. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, I just kind of got a, a log jam of projects, if you will, um, mm -hmm. that I worked through. But some of it is is uh, involved with uh, making uh, juvenile models of, of dinosaurs for a couple of museums, which I'm excited mm -hmm. about. Um, um, I've got something mundane going on. It's a it's a life size dolphin, but um, you know maybe it can be swimming around with Aldi. Uh, oh, and cool. we have books in the works as well that are coming out. Uh, one's about the first dinosaur bone found in the state of Washington. So. Uh, this could be really niche, but um, the the other one is uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book uh, Cryptic Creatures. I, I should get you a copy of that uh, that came out a few few years ago. Uh, it's the compendium that has the fifty different creatures. Oh yeah, work. yeah. I mean, I knew it existed, oh, mm -hmm. but I haven't been able to get a copy since we first started corresponding. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we're doing a follow up that's going to be nothing but sea monsters and marina. Oh, that sounds awesome. Oh, that's great. Uh, that, I get to do the same thing, uh, you know, in a, in a, a fleshed-out adult, and then a, a skull, and then a representative baby. Well, so do you? So, I mean, obviously, that implies that you're at least keeping in touch with cryptozoology from a, uh, uh, a encyclopedic perspective. You got to have yeah. <laughs> content, yeah. but are, yeah. do, do you? read forums and that sort of stuff or like uh, do you stay I re, the reason i'm asking I, i'll just jump to the question i'm actually leading up to which is yeah. there seems to be a big division uh in the cryptozoology world of late i i think it's really widened since we started doing monster talk just as a gauge but mm -hmm. between people who want or believe that cryptids are natural creatures and then what I can only call the paranormalists, the ultra terrestrial teleporting Bigfoot type people. Yes. Uh, have you, have you, are you guys addressing that? Or are you treating this mall as natural or, or how, how are you handling that sort of stuff? That's, that's really good. Um, we're, we're treating everything as if um, they're natural animals, creatures to our world. As a matter of fact, um, on the last book, we got to the Dover demon and, 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 and this is my way of, of making it uh, uh, relevant to our world, but in an extraterrestrial sober way, I, I was looking at it. I thought this thing could not live with no, no mouth, no nose or something. I thought it's a spacesuit. So I, I depicted it as an alien wearing a spacesuit. It's the Dover demon. So, um, that kind of like takes care of two things right there. We've got the extraterrestrial and the cryptid um, being the same thing. But um, as far as uh, paranormal type stuff, I just, I can, I can see these things all being, you know, having a, a reason to exist in our world. I don't think anything, there's nothing magical or uh, uh, paranormal about their existence. I think, you know, they're from here on this plane of existence, if you will. So your team uh, pelts and paws. What? Tell <laughs> me the hair. After our own hearts. <laughs> well, Rick, we've really enjoyed having you on the show. And we've got a final question uh, that we ask all of our guests, but we want to expand on that for you because of your, your passion for dinosaurs. So we want to ask you, what's your favorite monster, but also what's your favorite dinosaur? Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, uh, Tough I, questions. I, I, no, no, no. It's, it's not that tough because – 
Although we're, we're talking about, when we say monsters, we're talking about cryptic creatures, correct? Well, it could be anything you would think of as a monster. So if you if you know yeah. if you if you think about Real vampires definition. all day, but you make dinosaurs for a living, you can talk vampires. It's all good. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got I got to give a shout out uh, to, uh, to to three monsters real quick. Okay, the creatures of the Black Lagoon and the xenomorph from Aliens mm. and Yajuta uh, mm. predators because those three are the best designed creatures of all time in all movies i think i don't think you'll get much argument here yeah (laughs) Yeah, i like that angle (laughs) but um as far as uh uh cryptids go you know i'm partial to all things what can i say you know yeah a lot together um (laughs) although probably on my next uh project next next uh, cryptid i make it'll probably be that one but right now it's all and as far as dinosaurs go i've always loved allosaurus that's always been my favorite. You know, you've got kind of a look of a T-Rex. Yeah. I can almost imagine one as a pet. Well, uh, wasn't almost. it? Uh, was it <laughs> Alice from uh, Land of the Lost? Is that? Was that? Yes. Remember, didn't they, they? They? She wasn't a pet, but she certainly was a recurring character. What? <laughs> mm-hmm. Grumpy. The, the T-Rex. Grumpy. Oh, they had the little baby. Uh, uh, Dopey. Dopey, yeah, I remember that. That was a pet. Yeah, the little uh, sort of baby brontosaurus sort of thing. Oh. So neat. Yeah. I, <laughs> that was a weird show. That was a very strange mm. show. Yeah. You know what? Actually, on Facebook, I'm friends with Wesley Ear, who uh, was Will in the show. Wow. And he and uh, Kathy Coleman, who played Holly, still go out and they go to these conventions and they have a raft that they get people in so they're you know no way that is fantastic it's amazing so actually i go ahead i was just because i don't know if i'd get in a raft with him even on a routine expedition because i tell you but (laughs) (laughs) Um, i actually uh wrote him and gave him a synopsis for them to do a land of the lost now yeah and uh i thought it was really good because well, that's interesting. It's like I don't. He just wants to get away from from really work, and he likes he likes playing around too much. I think. But, I th- uh, it it, yeah. it I think it, I believe Walter Koenig from Star Trek actually wrote some of the episodes. I think that's real. Mm. Uh, I'll I'll delete that if I'm. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I fact myself. I fact check myself during editing, but I think that's true. I think uh. he did some of the scripts. Uh, but I, I just I always thought it was such an interesting mix of. Of uh, dinosaurs and sci-fi and and quasi magical technology, it's it's a it's a trippy show. It is a trippy show. It really is. Goes together. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Rick, thank you so much for first of all for all yeah. that you do. This is the, the, I think your contributions to the world of uh, both you know uh, paleo art and uh, monster art are, are spectacular. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, I'll put put links in the show notes uh, so if people want to check out your work uh, mm-hmm. and uh, also uh, your upcoming stuff, your your book and anything else you want. Just shoot me an email if there's anything else you need me to link to. Uh, mm-hmm. But but uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, we will be talking more about Alti in some upcoming episodes. But uh, I mean, when you if you want to see what Alti could look like, I don't think there's mm-hmm. a better representation than than your work. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. Great. Thank you, Rick. See ya. Monster Dog.
You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard an interview with paleo artist Rick Spears. You can see Rick's work on his website, rickspearsart.com, at the Darien Welcome Center in Darien, Georgia, and at the Fernbank Science Center, which is just about a mile and a half from the Fernbank Museum of Natural History. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Our theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys, and we thank you for taking the time to make our show a part of your listening today. been a Monster House presentation.